God bless you. I'm going to finish up what we were looking at in Mark chapter 6 last week on handling life's challenges. This is the 13th edition of this message. And Mark 6 is where we were looking at. If you have your Bibles, open them up there. We're just going to read a couple of verses there. And then we're going to launch into the teaching for tonight. We're reading verse 33 and verse 34. Well, let's say, yeah, 33 and 34. Come on. Ready, stand with us, and let's read together. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep not having a shepherd, so he began to teach them many things. The word of God for the people of God. Praise be to God. Come on, you may take your seats again tonight. Handling life's challenges, and this is 13. It's interesting when you read this text, this, this concept of sheep without a shepherd is an important concept. It's important because when you study the Holy Writ and you see certain phraseology used, most times when it's used that way, particularly in the later scriptures as we're looking chronologically, it's always used with a throwback look to its original usage. So that the metaphor being raised sheep without a shepherd becomes a, me a standing metaphor that everybody gets and understands. So it's like a common thing that everybody would know. Um, some things that, that you refer to, you know, back when we were down south, you used to talk about things like going over the creek and over the river. If you tried to use that up north, sometimes people would not know what you were talking about. Well, you know, same thing is you talk about uh, living on the other side of the railroad tracks. Depending on where you were born, that reference it, it speaks to you. You know what it means without any other comments being added. Well, with this particular reference, this reference here harkens back to the, the passage that we raised in Numbers earlier, and it harkens back to a thought that Israel has in seeing itself as sheep with the divine shepherd being God. And then God gave them physical manifestations of leadership that God would put in front of them that would take them to do and to live the life that God had designed. In the absence of those leaders, in the absence of the persons that God had divinely appointed for a season over them, there was a scattering. And sometimes the scattering came because the leadership was corrupt. So where the corrupt leader would be, you'd have corrupt people. They'd be, they would be scattered. Bad decisions would cause scattering. The sinful lives, there would be reasons for it. And so when Jesus looks at them, he lifts up this metaphor. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Verse 34, he says, because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. It speaks to something that Israel would recognize, and it's the first point that I want to draw on tonight. It is social wellness. Social wellness. 
God bless Brother Solomon. He just got those notes and got it up there already. God give him a big hand. Thank him so much. I don't know how he pulled it off tonight. Brother Solomon's going to, one day he's going to rebel and knock me upside my head. Bishop, I love you, man. Listen, social wellness. Now, what do I mean by social wellness? It is the care of others that the care of other people is as meaningful to you as the care of oneself. So that one does not simply look at what my station is in life, how are others doing around me? When, when you have people who have no idea or sense of social wellness, they'll make statements like build more walls because they don't realize that the social fabric of humanity is as important as what I generate for my personal well-being and my lifestyle. That the social order is as important as anything as I get personally. But when someone lives a life full of compassion, social wellness becomes important to you. Let me put it like this. If you saw somebody hungry, you'd be hard pressed to eat your food without thinking about how you could help them out. Because you're concerned beyond the self. And that's what Jesus is. Jesus is there concerned socially beyond himself. And if we look back at Moses, go back to Numbers 27. Moses, if you read the entire chapter, Moses gets the reminder news that he's not going into the promised land. And instead of crying about that news, Moses hears that word and the moment he hears that word, he thinks what? Social wellness. In other words, what will happen to the people in my absence? I know where they were before God sent me to them. Because before God sent me to them, they were in bondage. I know where they were before God sent me to them because before God sent me to them, they were slaves. Are y'all following me? I know where they were before God sent me to them because before God sent me to them, they had even gone off into idolatry. And so now, if I'm no longer going to be on the scene, what will keep them from going aimlessly, distractedly into destruction? And his first concern is for the people. That's why I look at verse 15. This is Numbers 27, for those of you looking for it, verse 15 through 17. Then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, now this is a prayer of Moses. Spoke to the Lord, prayer. He's talking to God. Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh. I love this phraseology. It doesn't happen very often. But what Moses is indicating, and the writer here is indicating, is that God is the God of every living creature of every living human being it doesn't matter whether they worship him as god or not he's still their god even if they don't know it all oh, preaching here tonight so he says the god of the spirits of all flesh set a man over the congregation who may go out before them 
and go in before them who may lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. His concern and fear is that if there's no leadership, no direction, no guide, no one there to keep them on task and focus, that they're going to go out and lose their way. They're going to go out and they're going to miss the mark of the calling of God that God had for them. They're not going to serve God the way God wanted them to. Well, we know for sure what happened when he went up on the mountainside trying to get the commandments of God. He was gone just 40 days and they already started building calves and worshiping other gods. He couldn't take a sabbatical for 40 days to talk to God without them losing their mind. And what was worse, his own brother down there going along with him. Lord called you to be priest and you over here acting like a, well, I can't use the word I want to use. It would have been a P alliteration, but I can't use that, it's not politically correct. Chump. Y'all got it. Listen, here he is. He knows what can happen when people don't have direction, when there's no guidance, when there's nobody there that honors God and that gives God first so that God can give them where they ought to be and what they ought to be doing. So he's concerned for the, not only the spirits of the people, but the social wellness of the people. Remember, you know, I try to tell believers this, and I don't know we get this all the time. Believers have a problem that non-believers don't have. Um, and this is just the truth. Non-believers get and achieve many times on their own. Human ingenuity, human invention, you know. Now, it's all because God has blessed them. But they get... Can I put it like this? They get to do it without prayer. And they fail. And they try again. They don't pray. But believers, here's our problem. We get nothing that's not attached to our relationship with God. So if we are estranged from God, so too are our blessings estranged from us. Now, you might, you might have just told yourself, man, I should be a non-believer. Try that if you like. Have fun with that. Uh, as that new book says, hope it's turtles all the way down for you. Down. Listen, we recognize that all of our help comes from the Lord. Nothing I have, I got on my, everything I got came from God. I, I, I was talking to a man the other day about some work they were trying to get done, and I was telling him, I said, you know, if you don't do this right, then I have to answer to God because everything I have comes from God, and if you don't treat this right, then I have misused the gift of God on somebody that won't treat God's blessing right. And he looked at me like, huh? 
No, I don't care. Look, everything I have comes from God. So I can't play with what God gives me. Here, the book of Numbers is a reminder that Israel's blessings were attached to their relationship with God and staying closely connected and by having divine direction appointed for them. And God did it. And you know what the word says. God did it in chapter 27. God says, get Joshua, the son of Nun, and appoint him. And then bring him out and lay hands and charge him that he, but don't just do it in private, do it in the sight of all of the people. Hold Joshua in your mind because I'm going somewhere tonight. Now remember, here we have the first situation of social wellness. And that's where this scriptures use two places, social wellness. But the scriptures also use related to scattered woe. Scattered woe. Now, I know that sounds highfalutin and big time, but listen to what it's about. Whenever God's people are not aligned under God's direction, there's a scattering and a woe attached to it. That, 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 is, that is that when God wants to give direction and will give direction, whenever God's direction is not heeded, when God is not put first, then guess what's going to happen? There's a scattering to come and a woe attached to it. And the same verbiage is used related to the scattering that happens when the people are shepherdless or when the shepherds are only doing what is in their own thought mind and best interests. I know you're looking at me like, Reverend, where you going? Stay with me, come on, we having fun here. First Kings chapter 22. First Kings chapter 22. Now, my Bible scholars in here will recognize this chapter as the coming together of, of Ahab, as Ahab tries to get Jehoshaphat to stand with him in battle. Now Ahab has had a problem with prophets in the past because he always likes prophets that gonna tell him what he wants to hear. You know anybody like that? If you don't tell him what he wants to hear, there will be trouble. And everybody knows what happens if you don't tell him what he wants to hear. Because he'll only hear what he wants to hear. And here in this passage here, ooh, I wish I had time to read the whole chapter to you, but go back home and read this one. This is, ooh, if you don't see 21st century right in here, you, gonna, you might have, ooh, no he didn't. Yes he did, listen. Listen, 1 Kings chapter 22, if I could read the whole thing, I would, but I can't. Ahab tries to get, get Jehoshaphat to join him. Jehoshaphat says, Do you have, is there a prophet in the land? Ahab goes out and gets 400 people to come stand up and to declare that they ought to go into battle so that you ought to go in and fight the Syrians. Next one, you ought to go, the Lord said, no, one come in with iron, iron horns. You gonna gouge the eyes of the Syrians? Yeah, right. But there's one person 
who you just can't buy off. He don't want to do right. And Ahab doesn't want to call him because Ahab knows if he calls him, he knows he's going to tell the truth. And so I don't want to bother with him because he never has anything good to say to me. He's like CNN. Never says anything good about me. I'm sorry. I need Fox News. <laughs> Give me Hannity. I'm sorry. Did I? I didn't do that. Verse 13. Verse 13. Y'all come on. We're going to have fun. Then the messenger who had gone to call on Micaiah spoke to him saying, Now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encouraged the king. In other words, they prepping him before he go in. Before you go see the king, everybody else has said the same thing. You line up. Please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. And Micah said, as the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. Then he came to the king and the king said to him, Micaiah, uh, shall we go to war against Ramoth, Galid, or shall we refrain? And he answered and said, go and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. So the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Then he said, I saw all of Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master, let each return to his own house. Here's what Ahab said. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? Now, you got to catch this. Later on, Micaiah explains that a lying spirit went on every other prophet to tell Ahab what he wanted to hear because God intended for Ahab to die in battle. By the end of the chapter, Ahab dies in battle and his blood is washed out the chariot and the dogs lick up his blood. Y'all stay with me. Notice if you will, the prophecy says that what's going to happen is that Israel will be scattered on the mountains, again, here's the phrase, as sheep that have no shepherd. The end result of the warfare that is brought about by deception will happen and the people are going to scatter. Come on back. I know y'all are looking at me kind of strange. Y'all stay with me for a moment. It's interesting that in the case of Joshua and in the case of Ahab, when Moses is praying about Joshua to become leader, Moses knows that once they cross over Jordan, they're going to a fortified city and there's going to be a battle. 
Are y'all following? So he's praying for a leader so that that leader can keep them together because as long as they're together, they can win the battle of Jericho. And even though the leader is going to give them an unorthodox way of entering the battle, marching seven days, even though the leader is going to give them an unorthodox way of winning the battle, shouting before the Lord on the, y'all ain't got this yet. It is a preparation for battle that we need a leader in place that can keep the people from being scattered. Y'all with me? In Ahab's case, God says, you are not the leader that I need. So you are going to die in battle. And the scripture says that at the end of the battle, they hollered to each man on the line, every man go to his own home and to his own city, for the battle is lost. And the people scattered. Battle lost, people scattered. Joshua fights and leads the people, and the people win the battle. Are y'all following me so far? We keep walking it on down. Let's walk it out. Ezekiel chapter 34. Gives us a picture of the period of time after the great kings, and particularly what happened to the people. As they were leaderless, the prophetic word comes to them, and the, the, word, the word begins to tell them that there is an issue and that the issue that has happened to you has caused a, well, look at it, Ezekiel 34, verse five and six. You have it, read it with me. So they were scattered. Ooh, that's in there, ain't it? I said scattered, whoa, didn't I? because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were what? Scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was what? Scattered over the whole face of the earth and no one was seeking or searching for them. So, the condition of Israel is the condition of scattered sheep. It is the condition that Moses did not want to happen as he transitioned from being leader, so he put Joshua in place. The way God says, I'm going to remedy said condition is found in Ezekiel as well, Ezekiel 34, 11 through 16, because God says there, look at verse 11, for thus says the Lord God, indeed I myself 
will search for my sheep and seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his what? Scattered sheep. So will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were what? Scattered on a cloudy and dark day and I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land and I will what? Feed them on the mountain of Israel in the valleys and in the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture and their foes shall be on the mountains on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in good fold and feed in rich pastures on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will make them lie down says the Lord God. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away. Bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick, but I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them unto judgment. So, stay with me. Joshua has his calling placed upon him in preparation for the battles to come, or the warfare to come. And he is there. His name means what? What does Joshua's name mean? Yeshua. Huh? The Lord saves. Jesus' name is the same as his name. It's just Joshua, and it means what? The Lord saves. So when Jesus comes out from the boat and he sees the people, he sees them, clue back in, as what? Sheep without a shepherd. He now knows that something must take place in order to bring the sheep without a shepherd into the fold of God to align their lives up with the purpose of God in the earth realm. And now, 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 now stay with me for a minute. I I think y'all might know where I'm rolling to. If Moses prepared Joshua who was getting ready to lead Israel into battle, then I do believe God prepared Jesus who was getting ready to lead his people into the next battle. Listen, Moses prepared Joshua to lead his people into the battle which was physical. God prepared Jesus to lead his people into the battle which was spiritual. Because even though they were in one place, they were still scattered because they were not following God's will. Can I help you right here? Because I got one more point to make. The last point is this. It's spiritual warfare.
The feeding of the 5,000 is one of the ways in which God is beginning his spiritual warfare against everything that has come up against the knowledge of God in the earth realm. And God is getting ready to set order for the people of God. He's setting them up so they would understand who God is in their midst. And what God wants to do is to show them. Well, let me, let me, let me put it like this. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says, For this purpose the Son of God is manifested, that he might, what? Destroy the works of the devil. What God wants to do is, God wants to destroy the works of the devil, and the way to destroy the works of the devil is through the word of the living God. So that's why the next line is that he began to teach them many things that they knew not of, because it's the word of God that has a Powerful, You know, the Bible says that the word is like a two-edged sword cutting asunder the bone and the mar. It is in the word of God that we have anointing and power. Well, let me back up for a minute. If God is speaking to Israel and is putting Jesus in place to command a spiritual warfare, then everybody that Jesus brings in to the foe actually doesn't just come in to eat and dine, whether it is through spiritual word or the physical banquet that he offered with two fish and few loaves of bread. No, everybody comes in in order to become warriors in the battle. Oh, y'all missed that. That's why your grandmama used to sing, I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord because when you gave your life to Christ, you joined him in his battle for the hearts and minds of men, women, boys and girls. And you're not going to cuss somebody out to help them get saved. No, but the word of God can do what your words can't do. The word of God can save folks your word can't save. The word of God can heal situations your word can't heal. The word of God can lift depression in ways that your word can't do. It is in the power of the word. That's why the Holy Writ says, and he began to teach them many things because it is in the taught word, the learned word, the understood word that we then begin to learn how to yield unto the spirit of God. And at that point, we begin to get to a place where we know how to arm ourselves. Listen to me right here. If you're a believer and you're not armed and dangerous, then you're just dangerous because you have to realize you're a danger to yourself, you're a danger to your family, you're a danger to the church. You're a danger to the community. Because if you're not armed in this battle right now, we're fighting against a battle right now that's not flesh and blood, but it's principalities. It's spiritual wickedness in high places. And if you're going to get into this battle, you need to realize we've got to cast some things down in order to allow God to be lifted up. Because he promised if I be lifted up from the earth, he said, I will draw all men unto me and then we lift him up by lifting up his word spiritual warfare 
when Jesus looked at them as sheep without a shepherd, he also recognized that these can be new soldiers in the army. I can bring them in because see, they'll be scattered no more if they follow me. And here is the key to this. Believers have to recognize who we are because when we don't, we let God down. See, when you think Sunday school ain't nothing, you let God down. When people think Bible school's nothing, you let God down. When you think that studying the word from beginning to end and Bethel type courses, you let God down. Because see, if you're really going to go to battle, you need to be getting prepped for the battle. Because some days going to come up when you're not going to have your book or your iPad or your smart device in front of you. I don't care whether it's Android or Apple. You've got to have something here. That's why he said, thy word, O Lord, have I hid in my heart that I mean not sin against you because this spiritual warfare and, and in case you don't know it all the lying prophets did not die with Ahab there's a lying spirit in the land right now there's a lying spirit in the land right now they may not call themselves prophets. They may call themselves prognosticators or political pundits, but there's a lying spirit in the world right now. They may call it alternative facts. It's just an alternative lie. There's a lying spirit in the world, and there'll always be one to tell every Ahab what Ahab wants to hear. Because if you don't tell Ahab what he wants to hear, He'll put you in jail. He'll put you in detention. Matter of fact, you get a chance. He'll tell you to go out the country. What you need to realize is that as Jesus saw them, we too must see them. We need to see them through the eyes of social wellness. Y'all not gonna help me, do you? We need to see them through the eyes of social wellness. We need to see them through the eyes of scattered woe. And we need to see this situation for what it is. This is spiritual warfare. Come on, let's give God a praise in the house.